Hi, I'm Frances Katzen and welcome to my podcast, The World of Real Estate. In this series, we will explore the world's largest asset class and how it plays out on a global scale. Welcome to a look at real estate and what's to come. My name is Stephen Kotler. I'm the CEO of Brokerage for the Western Region for Douglas Elliman, and I'm here as a moderator. Today, we'll explore market insights from an impressive group of Douglas Elliman's top agents from coast to coast. Specifically, they've convened today as a pivotal inflection point in our market to discuss where real estate stands now, where it's headed in 2021, and how buyers, sellers, and investors can stay on top. Today, we will cover New York City, South Florida, Los Angeles, Boston, and Aspen markets. We'd like to thank Francis Katzen for organizing this amazing panel. And now I'd quickly like to introduce today's panelists. Francis Katzen, Douglas Elliman, New York. Fran is a powerhouse broker with more than $3.5 billion in total sales. Dina Goldenthaler, Douglas Elliman, Florida. Dina is a top producing agent in Miami from waterfront mansions to penthouses high in the sky. Joshua Sasloff and his brother, Joshua Sasloff, <laughs> president of Colorado Brokerage. Joshua is the undisputed luxury real estate leader in Aspen, Colorado for over 40 years and has estimated sold over $4 billion in real estate. And Manny Sarkis, Douglas Elman, Boston. If you follow the Boston real estate market, you will undoubtedly come across a record-breaking transaction closed by Manny Sarkis, like his recent Paul Fireman estate transaction for $41 million. I think the highest sales transaction in Boston. It and was. Julian Honan, Douglas Elman, Los Angeles, one of the top realtors in Los Angeles. Juliet has parlayed her relationships internationally on both coasts. Welcome to all of you. Um, I'm going to start with Fran. Yes. I'm going to start with Fran. Um, and Fran, in a nutshell, would you describe what it's been like for the last year in the market? A total adjustment in how we do business and what we understand as business and the capitulation of sellers and now moving in a buyer's market. So, I mean, it's been, everyone said New York's been tough. So in the nutshell, like, is it, is it still tough or do you see it getting a little bit better right now? I think that the pendulum swung. I know this sounds a little bit out there, but I think it just changed from a seller's market to a buyer's market. And then you really had to work those buyers to understand the value proposition of buying when the market is down. Um, we are seeing it raw. We're seeing it come back. Everyone's been very busy, I think, the first part of this year. Um, it's been it's been going. We've had 77 contracts signed the first three weeks of January versus 51 contracts over 4 million. So the luxury sector is up. It's 51% up. It's big. Joshua, Aspen this year did over $3 billion in sales, probably one of the busiest markets in Aspen. And you've been there for a long time. How would you describe last year, 2020? Uh, actually, uh, Stephen, the... Uh, the number was over four billion. I stand corrected. Which is, uh, probably uh, double what it uh, the previous record was for total gross business sales uh, of real estate in Aspen. Uh, I'd say that uh, Aspen is uh, is is on a roll, and uh, it doesn't look like that is uh, that is going away anytime soon. Um, I think that. 
we have been as busy or busier uh, in terms of activity um, right through the right through the, the pandemic, um, which we did not anticipate. We thought that we were really going to get hit by uh, cancellations and a lack of, of of people coming to visit uh, Aspen, but. Uh, in, in, in the end, it, uh, it turned around the other way, and we were overwhelmed with the number of people in, uh, in, uh, in Aspen. So let's move, let's move south. Uh, Dina, um, I hear you see more New York license plates in, uh, in South Florida than we've ever seen before. How would you describe last year? Last year was definitely a surprise. I think we were... Um, not expecting this level of activity. I think in all of our marketplaces, we were fearful of what was going to happen in the midst of COVID. And uh, I believe my state, Florida, um, somehow flourished during that time. Um, and the New Yorkers, you know, they've always been here. You know, Miami's always been the sixth borough. That's, that's not news. It's the Californians that have completely changed our marketplace um, and have driven the prices up because they're used to bidding wars and multiple bid situations and paying above ask, which I've been in real estate for 16 years and I've never seen anything sell above ask. Uh, and now it's, it's something that's happening. Thank you. Manny, tell us what's going on in uh, Boston last yeah. year. What, what, I mean, what, what, how did you feel coming into this in March when it all started and how it ended? And um, give us your perspective on it. For sure. It was definitely a year where I stressed to my team, it was very important to adapt and pivot where we needed to. Suburbs were set record prices. Suburbs such as Brookline, Newton, Wellesley, they were up about 10%. The city transactions were down about 6%. However, our pricing stayed firm and we were resilient. It was, there was just less buyers in the city and there, there wasn't the excitement in Boston that there normally is. Um, but you guys did, you guys did record volume in 2020, right? In a market that where people were questioning it. Yes, right? correct. We had, there were two record transactions in Brookline. One of them was ours and the other one was the was Tom Brady's house right next door. Congratulations. Thank you. Juliet, so Dina says uh, all the Californians are moving to Florida. How do you feel about last year? She's so wrong. Um, I think some <laughs> people are, but by the way, they always come back. Um, I think we've got a lot of New Yorkers because of, of the sun. And um, I think what's happened here is houses with what I've termed COVID amenities bars, swimming pools, gardens, or yards, as you call them, um, Zoom rooms, offices, places to put your children, guest houses for your Those are the things that are selling. So our version of Manhattan or uh, maybe the sort of town version of Boston are places like um, Venice. But the, and, and that has got a huge amount of inventory and sales are up everywhere. Just FYI, sales are up everywhere. Any good realtor is having the best year 
last year they've ever had. And then this year is insane. And for example, I bought a house last year. I did it up. I rented it out yesterday on the spur of the moment. I decided to put it on the market for almost a million more than I paid for it. I already have six showings within 24 hours. So if you have good product, things that are good, the, the interest rates are just so low. People don't care. Some people are getting out. So, you know, for example, one of my clients, Amelia Clark, had a house in Venice. We sold that. She's going to buy a house somewhere in Europe, but someone else bought her house. So it's just a lot of movement. Thank you. Um, Fran, I want to turn to New York for a moment. Um, New York, historically, you know, the market has closely trailed the financial markets. And while 2020 at the start was tough for both, the second half of the year has seen momentous gains in highs um, in the markets. Has this had a positive effect on the New York real estate market? Very good question. Um, well, it was very interesting. When we had a huge shift in the market and there was a run down, people started trying to diversify and get out and try to put it into real estate. And then what we saw is as the run up came back into the market, we're now seeing people wanting to take um, ownership of equity because there has been a, a forced capitulation, I keep using that word, of all of the sellers kind of coming to a leveling. And so the rates compounded by the fact that there's now an inherent value has pushed everybody to try and see. For example, if you're priced out as an entry market, it's almost more cost efficient to own equity because the monthly is so much lower than what you're paying on average for these rentals with an increase, typically not so much right now, but typically at four and a half, five percent. So do you think that um, sellers in New York City have gotten more realistic on pricing? I think that the sellers are evaluating. Yes, I do think they have. And I think there are two types of sellers. Sellers who want to buy up and take advantage of the luxury sector because it costs them almost the same on a monthly basis. So they're willing to sell at a loss or at an adjusted price, but they're still going to make out. And then there's the poor sellers who paid way too much in the sugar high of the market that are getting killed and are basically going to refinance and hold. So if Dina was looking for a place in the city right now as a second home, what do you think is the best part of the market in the city? Where would you recommend right now for somebody to buy? You mean in neighborhood or in price point? Sorry. Well, I think I'd like to know neighborhood first. Like, you know, where are, where are the values right now? The values are still going to look, I don't know how, but the West Village and Greenwich Village, is it's sort of like its own bubble. You still can't quite penetrate it. But Flatiron and Gramercy, there's suddenly value. Same with Soho, really interesting opportunity. And my clients are diving into that area. And I think the four to six million are getting absolutely saturated. And I think the markets that were at 10 are now doing deals at six and seven. So it's all up for grabs. So I would say, Dina, I will find you a home in those areas. At a I like the West Village, which doesn't sound like there's deals. There are, but it's so not a deal in context to everything else. And I'm a West Village girl, so I'm with you. Yeah. All right, let's go to Boston for a minute. Um, Manny, what's the current dynamic of real estate in downtown Boston compared to the, you know, the suburban market? You talked about that a little bit. Yep. And with the vaccine rollout, it seems like we're seeing consumer confidence slowly restore in some of these urban markets. Um, yeah. Is it something that you anticipate in Boston that the urban market's going to also come back a little bit? 
Yeah, we've seen a lot of, there's been a lot of positive news to start out the year in 2021. Coming, ending the year last year, going into this year, a lot of buyers, a lot of our clients know that if they're in the burbs now, they're going to be overpaying and they're going to be paying at the top of the market. So we've slowly seen them shift gears and we've got the calls back. Manny, should, should we make the move back to the city now and is now not the right time? Should we wait another four or five years to go back to the suburbs? So you're seeing the gears get shifted back. And why does everyone buy in our city? Everyone's buying in the city because of the schools, which are slowly rolling back enrollment. Last week, we had restaurants extend their opening times. And Amazon also last week announced 3,000 new jobs in Boston. So the excitement of the city is coming back. We've sensed it. And we, I just looked at the numbers this morning. Transactions in January closed were up about 23% this year compared to last year. Wow. So pot, pot, if we, there are still some buyers who they don't mind overpaying in the suburbs because some of these clients have gotten news that they are going to be working from home for the next year, for the next two years. So they will pay for the extra space. However, there are the other buyers who don't want to pay at the top of the market and have shifted their direction back to the downtown market, which is good news for us. So let's go south again, Dina. Um, Florida probably experienced one of the biggest run-ups in real estate in 2020. Um, new signed contracts for single-family homes and condos nearly tripled in Miami-Dade County. Um, where are you seeing now the most significant moves in the market in Florida? Well, the most significant moves are definitely at the top end. Um, a house on the Venetian Islands, which is where I live and uh, really specialize in, hit the market for Friday at 23 and a half. And come Monday, the agent told me he has two full price offers. So really, um, and this can kind of mirror what Fran said, four to six is not, is not that exciting. Um, you definitely can still get opportunities there. Um, but in the double digit price points, because of the amount of wealth that has flooded the city uh, for a multitude of reasons, you're really seeing 10 to 15 is impossible. I have a client that is offering someone um, 13 on a house they just put under contract for 11. There's this whole new, you know, side hustle of people flipping contracts. Wow. And it's, it's insane. Literally you tie something up and there's someone coming to you say, will you flip for a million? Will you flip for 2 million? They're literally just moving paper. Um, and I actually just did a deal like that on North Bay road, um, that, that got flipped. And I, I only realized the day of closing. Um, so it's the very top end that is the most competitive. The inventory is the most limited there. And there's a huge buyer pool um, that is driving this. In particular, houses facing west where you get the skyline views um, are in the most demand. And if you have a modern house with a west view, um, you can get a 20% uh, 20 premium than what it was worth six months ago. So, you know, we were talking earlier before we began about the salt tax, and I think people feel differently about it. You know, a lot of people are saying it's the reason why people, why people moved to South Florida. What's your opinion about that? I never felt in my business that the salt tax was the defining moment. I think it was just, you know, the cherry on top. Uh, people were already, uh, you know, I guess, 
top wealthy people were already frustrated by the amount of tax they were paying in you know, certain municipalities, let's say like Manhattan. So they were already contemplating uh, getting the heck out of Dodge. And then when the mansion tax happened, there was another reason, um, obviously uh, not being able to fully deduct the interest on their mortgage was another reason. So it just kind of piled up. And then I think when COVID happened, that was really what people who were on the fence about uh, re-domiciling to South Florida, they decided to accelerate their decisions. I think that's what we've heard a lot is that a lot of this thinking was accelerated by COVID, but that people were already starting to lean in this direction of, of migrating, uh, migrating South. And when I mentioned earlier about Californians, um, I wanna say that that was more for San Francisco. For example, back on the Venetian Islands, we we're now starting to call it Palo Alto Drive. Most <laughs> of the big sales have been by uh, techies from San Francisco who just feel like their success isn't being appreciated in their uh, municipality. We've heard that. Um, yeah. So California um, last year was probably, you know, for Element for sure, the best year we've had as far as volume. Um, it was record volume. And I think for, you know, across the entire Southern California market, we saw run-ups in every price range. Um, we saw, you know, low inventory as well by the end of the year, but we still saw very significant sales. And, and Julia, in the West side where you're working, um, what was the sentiment, you know, what was the sentiment then? And in, in, in general, you know, people say, you know, California has high taxes, but a lot of people are still buying here. So what's I been the driver? I mean, I think uh, the weather, I think it's really the weather. People want the lifestyle. You can still go to the beach here. It's basically sunny more or less every day. There's a few days of rain. I sold a house sight unseen for almost 20 million via FaceTime last year uh, to a family coming from Brooklyn. And they they just want, you know, they wanted the sun. So I think it it's the lifestyle. It's the same thing that everybody always says, um, <clears throat> I think the hardest hit market for us is really the film and television industry. And those people tend to live in houses between four and six million. Mm. And that's kind of a difficult um, thing to sell right now. I mean, you just have to be correctly priced and you and anything that's gorgeous sells. But you, you're still seeing, you know, I have a, a listing uh, in the Palisades for nine million, and it's a, the Palisades is an area where it's you, you know, mostly families, and this house happens to be like a couple's house, and I listed it at nine, and while I had showings, I, I knew it was worth eight, and when we come back on, that's probably the price we'll come back on at, and I'm sure I'll sell it very quickly. So with the film industry being on pause, where are the buyers coming from? Are they local Californians or where are you seeing people that are wanting? I'm actually getting a lot of international. One of the reasons I'm late and my hair is wet is that I was on with uh, someone from Germany who's just like, I need... I need a house. Get me. I want three houses. I bought two in uh, the Hamptons and I want, and, and he's looking to do deals where it's 40% off. And I have to explain to him, look, you're not going to get 40% off, but you know, there are people whose houses were appraised for 13 million and they, and they couldn't sell them for eight. Um, and so there are deals to be had, but maybe not 50% off deals. Well, I think the aspirational pricing model has changed a little bit. 
Let's hope so, because it's really not an enjoyable model for the real estate agent. <laughs> so, Joshua, um, you've been selling Aspen real estate for a, for a while. And, um, you know, we saw, again, record volume last year. Um, but inventory we're starting to hear is a problem. And, you know, in Aspen, it's a unique market. When Joshua and I talk, he'll tell us that sometimes he can sell the same house two, three, four, five times because there's not a lot of new construction. Um, so... I mean, tell us like what's going on there right now, um, and you know how. What do you think about inventory going into 2021? Well, um, not to digress, but going back a little bit to uh, to what we were talking about earlier, what we're seeing um, is um, the the appetite for real estate in Aspen has gone up considerably, driven by many things. To begin with. As we all know, the wealth has become wealthier. They have even more money than, than they had pre-COVID. Um, and a couple of other um, outstanding um, reasons that people are coming to Aspen is because of COVID, they wanted to have a place to get away. They found Aspen to be a great getaway. And at the same time, they um, were seeing a lot of movement from people who live in California and people who live in New York. Uh, the reason they're moving out of you know, New York is because they can enjoy in Aspen um, so much great outdoor space and at the same time, culture and art and intellect. We, we have it all. And we don't have, as you know, in Aspen, we don't have crime, we don't have floods, we don't have fires, i.e. California. So, and, and put another piece of, you know, put another cherry on the top of that. We don't have the tax consequence issue that you have in California and you have in New York. So we are seeing, it's kind of interesting, which I would have never anticipated. We are seeing people who live in both uh, California and New York decide to make primary residence in other places like Texas for tax reasons and to at the same time to purchase a property in Aspen because of the weather and the agriculture during the summertime. Uh, and uh, we all know it's uh, Aspen's always been a, a great investment. You buy the good stuff, it's always gonna be great. And so let's just, I want to just further that about Texas a little bit. So, I mean, Texas was always a feeder market for you in Aspen. Has it just become more amplified? No question about it. Houston, uh, Dallas um, have become um, even bigger parts of our community. Houston is almost replaced or is close to replacing what was uh, our largest uh, community, and that was Miami, South Florida. Um, between, uh, you know, Palm Beach going down all the way to, to Miami, um, we have a considerable amount of, uh, of residents in Aspen who have a primary residence uh, in those areas. So if, if, if Fran was looking to buy a place in Aspen right now, what would be this, you know, the, the entry level market for something that she could try out? What would you say is the, You're number, gonna the, num the number for the number to get into the market right now in Aspen? I think everyone's going to be, if you don't know the Aspen market, you're going to be blown away by this. But 
What is like the entry market there now, Joshua? Well, here I'm not going to I'm not going to put that number out there, but I can tell you this: I will take all of the four to six million dollar product you have. If I can get people in um, and have that kind of product available uh, to our buying public, um, we can make it disappear real quick. I mean, how fast does a $4 million listing that comes on the market go to contract in Aspen? It's gonna, nowadays it's gonna go between four and six. We'll probably go under contract if it's realistically priced. I'm not talking about a value buy. Right. Um, a realistically priced is probably going to get a, be off the market within 30 days. Wow. So um, I wanted to maybe turn away from real estate for a minute and ask all of you, because I know you're all super busy. Um, Fran, to go back to New York, when you're not selling apartments seven days a week um, and houses and lofts, what else are you doing in your spare time? Trying to catch up being a mom and sleeping. I'm really boring these days, you know, simple stuff. <laughs> Sleep. Sleep. Well, what are you doing for fun? Uh, that's a really good question. In COVID, it's a little tough to answer that one. Outside. Um, you know, it's not like you can do much. It's like rinse and repeat, no offense. So, I mean, I've become like the greatest cook on the planet to my kids. <laughs> You know, good music, right? a nice meal, a little vibe, and we're good. Simple stuff. <laughs> Boring. So are you going to the office to work with, to get away from that as well? Or are you, are yes, you doing work I'm, at home? Yeah, no, I'm the dork. I come to the office because I have someone else working from home, and I have two kids, and it's just full on. So I cannot do what I do from my home. It's not conducive to anyone. Tell us about something that you're doing to have fun when you're, you know, this is a hard grind every day, you know, um, it's, it requires a lot of effort and time. And so when you do relax for a minute, what are you doing to like step away from it? We're, we're missing the Celtics games for sure. <laughs> Those were, uh, that was a nice breakout, but newly parented to my uh, two daughters, my second daughter is now three months. So getting used to, Getting used to having a, another baby in the house, which is all the credit goes to my wife on that. But it's been it's been fun during being home a lot. You've, we've got to spend a lot more time with the kids, and especially at a young age, you really things do slow down a little bit when they can being at home. And it's been it's been great to enjoy that extra time at such young years in their life. Yeah, got to, yeah. We recently this we have a house up on. Mount Cranmore in New Hampshire and took the family away this weekend. So it was nice to spend some time with them. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. Uh, Joshua, we know what you'd like to have fun, at least from the picture that we see there, but what have you been doing uh, when you're not selling houses? <clears throat> a little bit of what you see in the background. Uh, I've been spending quite a bit of time uh, down here in, uh, in Florida and uh, we have a lot of family here. So I've had an opportunity being the, the senior member on this panel that we're talking about. Um, I get to spend a lot of time with uh, our grandchildren, our children and our grandchildren and, um, and holding hands with um, a daughter and a, and a daughter-in-law who are about to have 
daughters. So that's been great. Uh, it's been great for me. And of course, be able to spend some time at the beach as well. Congratulations on the uh, upcoming uh, grandchildren. Yeah. Thank you. So um, I think, you know, a lot of people, I mean, this group is amazing. You're all. Don't you uh, want to know what I do for fun? I'm <laughs> waiting for you to ask. <laughs> Dina, tell me. What are you doing for fun? I mean, you're smiling all the time, so you must be having fun. I have a new baby, baby Val. Wow. (gasps) My first. Uh, So he's fun. Um, We go for walks in the neighborhood, and I'll get Pilates in when I can. I have a new reformer machine, and yeah, catch up on sleep. Sleep. What about the beach? Not my thing. I'm kind of going for like no wrinkles here. <laughs> have, you, have you taken the baby to a showing yet? No. <laughs> no. Have any of you done that? I actually thought about it, but I did not. I know, me too, but I didn't. Know. Well, recently, my children oh. absolutely. My wife's like, here, give me an hour, please. I have to go to a showing. <laughs> the juggle, yeah. Hi, and thank you so much for joining me today on our two-part series from our podcast, The World of Real Estate, about the state of real estate markets from around the country speaking with top brokers. (laughs) 